Hello and salam. Welcome to Muslim Viewpoint, a new podcast series brought to you by American Muslim Today, a groundbreaking nonprofit digital newspaper which champions civic engagement by informing and empowering the diverse voices of almost 30 million Muslims in the US and other Western countries. I'm Rifat Malik, I'm AMT's Editor-in-Chief, and today we have an interview with Turkish journalist Mustafa Akyol about religious freedom in the United States and other Muslim-majority countries. We caught up with him on a recent visit to Dallas where he spoke at the First Liberty Institute back in October and discussed attacks on religious rights in America, especially for groups such as American Muslims, and also the status of religious freedom in countries like Iran. So, uh, Mustafa, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, I wanted to just, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about your work on um, religious freedom. Um, we'll look at the situation here in the US and um, in other countries, particularly Muslim-majority countries. Um, so right now here in America, we have a situation where we have a rise of Christian nationalism influencing public policy and legislation. Um, the starkest example was the recent reversal of Roe v. Wade, overturning 50 years of set judicial law curtailing uh, against curtailing women's produ- reproductive rights another example just recently was a California court just ruled in favor of a baker refusing on religious grounds to serve a same-sex couple so how do you see this kind of move uh, uh, in terms of undermining democracy and does it reinforce the need for the separation of church and state in your view um, thank you I mean those cases are interesting I doubt though the, mention, the cases you mentioned necessarily are violations of religious freedom because I think, I mean, religious freedom and non-discrimination, there are two values here, right? So uh, we've seen this in the Baker case, famous as well. Can a baker was asked to make a, a cake for a couple who happened to be gay and the baker refused to do that. Now on those issues, I value the value of non-discrimination, but I think there's a case where religious freedom in fact to do it too. Uh, if I was an artist, as a Muslim, and if an atheist customer comes in and says, can you make me a beautiful painting which says there is no God, ha 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 ha, and I would say, well, sorry, I can't do that for you because that goes against my beliefs. So I think there are some legitimate, uh, you know, cases on the, the, the political side that you defended in the United States as well. Abortion is, of course, a more complicated issue, and I think the issue there is not about religious freedom, but when, when life begins, right? Because we all accept that innocent human life should be protected, but is this a human life? And also, it happens to be inside a woman's body, so that also complicates matters. And of course, different religious traditions, philosophical traditions have their answers, so I don't think one answer should be imposed by the state. Mm-hmm. And it should, but also people have a right to be concerned about the right of the unborn. So I, I'm not very black and white on the issue of abortion because I see the different clashes there. What concerns me is things like ban on hijab in France, for example, that a woman, Muslim woman cannot wear a hijab and go and get a public job or an education. So that is a clear violation of religious freedom. Or there are uh, fanatic circles in America who says, you know, we don't want Muslims, you know, Muslim immigration in America should be bad. So that is a violation of religious freedom. Mm-hmm. I think um, in this, U.S. Is, is in a big moment of polarization. I see this as a newcomer to America. I think Muslims can um, play a role of sometimes bridging the two sides and sometimes agreeing with this one side or that one side, depending on the principle that we hold. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and I do believe that sometimes religious freedom, the concept of religious freedom can be weaponized by certain groups, but it cannot be sacrificed to that agenda because it is necessary, it's, it's a precious value which allows Muslims in the West to live their religion in the way they want, mm -hmm. which they would not be able to live uh, in the way they would in their home countries. Mm -hmm. uh, in Pakistan today, well, if you're an Orthodox Sunni, you'll be probably fine. You wouldn't have a religious freedom problem. But if you're a Shiite Muslim, if you're Ahmadi, if you are another minority, you wouldn't have the freedom that you would have in America mm -hmm. or any liberal democracy. And that means religious freedom is valuable. And, and, and we, we have to also work on the issues of religious freedom problems we have in the Muslim majority world. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to Pakistan later on, but um, why do you, sticking to the US, why do you think uh, an evolved and respected democracy such as America uh, was able to institute a piece of legislation, namely the 2017 Muslim ban from tra on travelers from Muslim majority countries, directly in violation of the country's First Amendment on religious freedom. How do you think that came about, that we got to the state where something like that happened, probably, I think, in the first time of certainly America's modern history, political history? Well, it is a quite un-American thing to you know, discriminate people based on their religion. No wonder, thanks to that, actually, the, the political decision to bring this Muslim ban was actually overturned by uh, courts. So that was, the, that was a separation of powers and checks and balances, and, and, and that's the blessings of that. But why did this uh, move come, you know, the, the, the idea that Muslims should be banned? Why did this impetus come from? Well, it came after 9-11, which was a horrible terrorist attack, which killed innocent people, of course. Um, and unfortunately, though, some Americans, especially the people who are not well-versed the about the Muslim world, who are not exposed to the world outside, began to think that, oh, there's a potential danger in Muslims. Despite the fact that 9-11 terrorists could be Muslims, I mean, they were Al-Qaeda uh, apparently, but that they represent a very, very marginal force in the Muslim world today, which threaten fellow Muslims as well. I mean, Al-Qaeda or ISIS, these grouped groups bombed more Muslim cities and killed more fellow Muslims than, than they did. On, on. So they're enemies of all of us. So instead of thinking that these terrorist groups threatened Muslims and non-Muslims and everybody, there was a kind of a suspicion towards Muslims in general. And some politicians cashed on that. Sometimes politicians in different parts of the world, in America or my part of the world too, they want to surf on the anxieties and fears of society and, and, and pump them and you know, further amplify them. But I think the right thing to do is to um, have some legitimate security concerns like every country might have but also to suit the unnecessary fears. But I think today, America might be ultimately outgrowing that first shock with 9-11. And I think there's a growing recognition that uh, those terrorist groups are very marginal in the Muslim world. Most Muslims who come to America come with goodwill to live here and to have decent lives here. They're decent citizens. And I think the more American Muslims fully integrate into American society, become visible figures in arts and culture and, and, and the media and, and intellectual life and business and all that, uh, Americans will more, uh, all Americans will more easily embrace, I think, their Muslim uh, uh, citizens. So, so let's take a look at your religious freedom and tolerance in some Muslim-majority countries. Uh, many of them are post-colonial nations, uh, either they're still autocracies or at various stages of democratization. What spur do you think is needed to move them towards uh, democracy and respecting the rights, and especially the religious rights of minorities? 
Muslim majority countries are, of course, uh, quite diverse. I mean, there are 55 almost Muslim majority countries in the world with very different legal systems. Some of them have secular laws and constitutions. Some of them have Islamic laws or, uh, or governments. And um, there is clearly a tension between classical interpretations of Islamic law, the Sharia, and the modern notion of human rights, including religious freedom that we have today. Uh, actually, you could say that a thousand years ago, there was no such tension because Islamic law, the Sharia, was granting Jews and Christians to practice their religion at a time when you know, th that right didn't exist in Christendom. That's why Jews fled from Christian Europe to Islamic lands, such as the Ottoman Empire, for religious freedom. But the idea of religious freedom expands like other uh, values in human history. And today, classical interpretations of the Sharia include violations of religious freedom, such as uh, bans on apostasy. Like if you publicly renounce Islam and choose another religion or show yourself as an atheist, that can be considered as a crime punishable by severe uh, sentences in, in about a dozen Muslim majority countries. There are blasphemy laws, most burning in Pakistan, but elsewhere as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is also the idea that Muslims should have more rights over non-Muslims uh, by law. Mm -hmm. That also includes that men should have more rights than women by law. So those problems are there, and uh, I think they call for reinterpretations of the Sharia. That's the legal tradition of Islam. Those interpretations have already taken place in a few issues, like slavery. Uh, Islamic world had slavery until the modern era, but at some point, uh, gradually, more Muslim scholars realized that slavery was not an integral part of Islam. It was not a value. Uh, Islam actually mitigated the institution and wanted to get, her, get rid of it over time. I think with that same approach, we need in reinterpretations on verdicts of blasphemy and apostasy or legal inequality. In the Indian subcontinent, we have two neighboring states, India and Pakistan, with two of the largest Muslim populations after Indonesia, and both are accused of having a poor record when it comes to religious minorities. How can we distinguish between one as an avowed secular state and the other as a republic with an established religion in how they treat religious minorities? ways, despite the differences you mentioned, are mirror images. Uh, where you have my majorities with a militant religious nationalism sometimes coming after their minorities, right? In India, those minorities are primarily Muslims themselves as well as Christians. They are threatened by a militant Hindu nationalism which uh, does public lynchings and, and uh, a very severe hate speech, a lot of attacks. Their mosques have been, have been turned into Hindu temples. So they're rightly concerned about that. So the, the minority Muslims in India are rightly concerned about their religious freedom. When you just cross the border and go to Pakistan, you see it's the other way around. Here, the Sunni majority uh, is there. And of course, not all Sunnis, but some hardline Sunni groups uh, are champions of things like blasphemy laws, uh, they are demonization of minorities like Ahmadis uh, and, and Christians as well. And I think it would be great if we can bring to the whole subcontinent the idea that the minorities should be respected equally with the majority and people might have their values and lifestyles and beliefs. They are still equal under the law and the state should protect them and, and, and people in society should tolerate each other. 
Pakistan is actually good foundings in that. I mean, uh, the, the founder of Pakistan, uh, Jinnah, the great Jinnah, he had this famous speech in the very first year saying that you're free to go to, go to your temples. It's not the business of the state, whether you're Hindu or Muslim. Unfortunately, Pakistan regressed from that through the Islamization of laws and so on and so forth. And one thing, a lot of Muslims unfortunately believe, especially the Muslims who support these oppressive structures, they believe that once the system is Islamic and you suppress whatever is un-Islamic, it will be good for the religion. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think it's bad for the religion because it leads to human rights violations, terrible things done in the name of religion, which actually leads to a disenchantment with Islam. Mm -hmm. We see this in Iran today, an Islamic republic that has been imposing Islam as it understands to society, ended up with a society that is more secular mm -hmm. than actually what it uh, thought it would be. Uh, people are burning their hijabs that are imposed by law, which means that you should not impose hijab or you should not impose anything that is religious on society. You should leave it to the conscience of individuals. And, and you would argue that's actually following in this, the true Islamic tradition? I would say so. I mean, I, I'm not going to deny that Islam began with a caliphate and, an, and state and Muslims created empires. But I would see that as a historical situation, not an eternal structure of Islam. Mm -hmm. Islam was born in, a, in an age of empires, and Muslims created empires, but that is not the eternal value. The eternal value is our faith and the, and the belief and the morals and the theology. Just a final question for you. You've been criticized and harassed uh, over the years for your work and your writing on human rights uh, and Islam, uh, including being arrested, I believe, in Malaysia. I, I wonder what motivates you to continue this work in the face of that kind of backlash. I believe we are at a challenging time at the history of Islamic civilization. There was a time when our human rights standards were ahead of the world. That's why Islam was the place that minorities escaped to. I mean, Jews, as I said, repeatedly fled from Christendom to the lands of Islam, which was granting more religious freedom, more justice. Uh, today, it's the opposite. Uh, and, and I think this doesn't represent the best of our religion. Uh, this represents a crisis in our religion. Christianity had a crisis too. I mean, the, if you went back to 17th century Europe, you would see Protestants and Catholics slaughtering each other and heretics being burned at the stake. You would not think that Christianity is a very tolerant or liberal religion. Christianity changed though, with a lot of efforts, a lot of failed experiments and a lot of uh, bad lessons. And mostly, I think today, in, in, at least in the West, there are discussions obviously in public life, but uh, the idea that people should be persecuted for being heretical or like uh, or an infidel doesn't at least exist in the legal system and mostly in the culture too. Uh, I think we can make the same progress as we have been able to do before. Uh, it's, it's a time we should uh, respect our religious tradition but rethink it in a different, radically different world. And we should understand that our religious tradition includes the eternal values of Islam that will never change. But also it includes a lot of cultural historical baggage which just brings us the patriarchy or imperialism of medieval culture and life and, and we don't have to preserve it as if it is our religion. Mustafa, thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for joining us this week from me and the team Hadiya Spalic and Maya Gaylor. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at American Muslim Today. If you'd like to read more about this story and access more digital content, feel free to check out our website, AmericanMuslimToday.com. 
We'll see you next week on Muslim Viewpoint.